Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Puck Junk Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and along with me is Tim Parrish, a.k.a. The Real DFG on Twitter. Although you've been changing your Twitter handle, it's still at The Real DFG, but you're changing like the name, like don't bet on but don't Patrick sleep Stephane. on. Don't, don't sleep on. on. Yeah. So what do you mean don't sleep on? I'm giving I'm giving all the uh, all the new hockey investors that are out there some uh, ideas of people to chase after. So mm-hmm. so that's why you brought up Alex. Don't sleep on Alexander Daig. Yeah, I'm giving I'm giving them all the the quality players to chase after. You now Daig's been out of the league up. for a long time, so I mean, oh, that's all right. His gonna, cards are his cards are going to be worth millions. They're, they're going to be. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have a cup rookie, is what I'm saying. It's all right. New people to the hobby. They need to under. They need to understand where the money's at. Well, you need to tell them then about Brian Lawton. I mean, I see him on TV every day, and he was a first round pick, and he's still on TV every day. Hey, he might come up next. Who knows? Yeah. So anyway, so just trying uh, to share my my wonderful knowledge of the great draft picks that are that are out there to collect. You, sh- you should tell him to buy up all the Martin Jelena rookie cards I have. Hey, he might be next too. You never know. I I got about fifty tops Martin Jelena rookie cards, mint and well centered, and I also have about fifty Kevin Stevens rookie cards from tops, mint and well centered. That's important. Oh, mint and yeah. well centered. Well, yeah, center. I'm going to need you to take pictures of all four corners, all the edges, um, and the surface area. If you could take a microscope picture of it for me, I would appreciate that. I'm just going to, I'm going to just put an eBay auction up for investment grade lot of 50 Martin Jelena rookie cards, PSA 10, question mark. Yes, it'll sell instantly. It'll sell instantly. Somebody's going to, uh. You know, I'd have to explain. I probably they probably wouldn't even know what the gem line was, but uh, or was that the kid line? I'm sorry, I can't remember. Murphy, Jelena, Jelena, uh, Murphy, and Graves. That was the kid line, wasn't it? I don't remember. Maybe. Anyway, bringing up the 1990 Stanley Cup Finals, just showing my age here. So also showing my age, kind of, sort of, but not really, but a little bit. Um, yeah, the kid line. You're right. It was a kid line. All right. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some NHL stuff today. Our big conversation is going to be updates on the hockey collecting hobby, a.k.a. also kind of our state of the hobby address, because hockey card collecting has finally become infected with the craziness bug that's bit the uh, football and basketball and baseball card collecting hobbies. I always felt that Hockey card collecting was a little insulated from all of that, but not not so much now. Um, and we'll talk about that. Um, but we wanted to start with talking about the new Mighty Ducks Game Changer series that uh, started last week on Disney+. Plus. Now, a couple of things I'll just say really quick. I was 17 when the first Mighty Ducks came out in 1992. Had no interest in seeing the movie because it looked like a dumb kid's movie. When Mighty Ducks 2 came out in 1994, it was 19. Again, zero interest. 1996 when D3 came out, zero interest because I had other interests. I liked hockey, but I wasn't going to watch a kid's movie about hockey, right? Um, However, back in 2017, I wrote an article about the Mighty Ducks for the Hockey News for the film's 
25th anniversary. And that was actually the first time I watched The Mighty Ducks. I said to my editor, I'd like to write about The Mighty Ducks. And he said, okay, go for it. And I thought, okay, now I have to see The Mighty Ducks because I'm going to be writing about it. So I actually bought the DVDs so I can watch them, rewind them, pause them, scrutinize them, whatever. And then um, I watched them again. So I watched them in 2017 for the first time. I like watched all three episodes in a week or three movies, you know, not back to back to back. But last week, I watched and reviewed the first one, the second one, and the third one. And then on that Friday, Game Changers came out and I watched the first episode and I reviewed that. Um, and before I get into my thoughts on that, Tim, I just want to know if you watched those movies either as a kid, because you're a little younger than me, or maybe watched them with your kids as an adult or uh, or at all. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen all three. I have not seen the first episode of the uh, Disney series. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the original movie. At the movie theater, I'm afraid to admit, but I, I will admit it. Um, D2 and D3, I did not see at the movie theater. Um, but I like the first one. The second one is eh. The third one is god-awful. Um, so <laughs> that's pretty much my take on that. Okay, now, um, hold on. What, what made you see the first one? Because you would have been, what, about 15? What year was that? 92? 92. Fall of 92. Yeah. Yeah, I was. What made made me see the first one? Um, I mean, it's a hockey movie. So I wanted to see it because it was a hockey movie. But I didn't like it that much that drew me in when they made a sequel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I liked it, but I wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't an earth shattering movie that changed my life. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, what I would consider a prototypical follow the script Disney movie. Right. The second, the first one, you mean? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's so- the typical the typical story. You got a you got a guy on his path to redemption. You got a team of misfits that tries to be, you know, tries to be better than they are. And he gets paired with them. And, you know, it's it's just a typical, you know, what you'd expect from a Disney story like that. Okay, so the first when I watched these in 2017, I liked the first Ducks movie. I gave it like I don't say I gave it a B, but like. Uh, Law of Diminishing Returns. Like, I thought that D2 was half as good as D1. And then I thought that D3 was half as good as D2, right? So not that Mighty Ducks 1 is 100, but if Mighty Ducks 1 was 100, Ducks 2 would be a 50 and Ducks 3 would be 25. However, having rewatched them last week, I've changed my mind on that. I like the first Mighty Ducks, and I actually really like the third Mighty Ducks. There's things about it that I hate. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm saying for a Ducks movie, it's pretty good. Because the second Mighty Ducks movie is a rehash of the first one. You got the bad guy team. This time they're Iceland. But more or less, you have all the same predictable um, plot points with, like, Bombay, um, 
the team getting mad at Bombay, Bombay getting mad at the team, you know, um, somebody quitting the team, you know, Charlie having a falling out with uh, with Bombay. It's just like it, it. it's the same. It's like it followed all the same points, but it just did it in the Junior Goodwill Games instead of a Minnesota uh, regional hockey championship. Yeah, I mean, here's the, they at least utilized the cat more in D3. Oh, and that's the other thing. So then in D3, what I liked about that movie is um, it's really Charlie's story. It has, like, a lot of people are like, oh, well, Gordon Bombay's not really even in the third movie. There's nothing he could do in the third movie. I mean, he 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 co- he found redemption in the first one, like you said, and turned the kids from a, a band of misfits to a band of champions. In the second one, he took that band of misfits, they got augmented with other players, and they went and they uh, won the Junior Goodwill Games. And then he also realized that fame and fortune aren't everything. And so then, where, where do you go from there? Like, you, you know, when you, when you coach in an international tournament, how do you raise the stakes for that guy, right? So it kind of made sense that he wasn't in the third movie. And I think that had more to do with Emilio Estevez's uh, availability at the time, because I think they had to shoot all of his scenes in like a week or something, um, if I remember reading about that correctly. But um, yeah, and the third one, it, it felt more serious because it's like, we, like you said, well, the cat is featured more in the third one. Yeah, Julie, uh, the cat Gaffney, who's the better goalie than Goldberg. Yeah, all um, she does in D2 basically is just compete with him for first spot and it's like she's a better goaltender she's yeah she's the better goaltender she's athletic she she's she's the best in Maine uh uh that Maine has to offer and I find that like with Mighty Ducks 3 it addresses a lot of these things it's like no Goldberg you suck as a goaltender you're the backup right like the uh the the new coach coach Ryan you know, he everything he says makes sense. He's like, she's the better goalie. You're the backup goalie, right? And he, he tells them, he said, look, your little duck tricks are not going to work. And then he, he says, you need to play a two-way game. If you're going to win at high school hockey, you are you got to play a two-way game. Because how do the Ducks win in all the other games? They're all like blowout scores, right? Like eight to seven, six to five. They're like hockey scores, right? How do they win the big game in the third one? One to nothing. Yeah. Well, it's they, they, they spend the entire first movie figuring out how to win, and then they gain confidence, but they take it to the level of not only do they gain confidence, they're completely overconfident at that yes. point. Yes. Because it's like, oh, we're unstoppable. Nobody can beat us. And, you know, when they decide to bring Coach O'Ryan in there, you know, he spends most of his time just teaching the kids how to be humble and play defense because yeah. that's what they sucked at. And, Probably one of the best lines out of the movie there. He tells him, you can't, you cannot be afraid to lose. And that's like, that's important on any level, regardless of that's important in life. You can't be afraid to lose. You can't take risks if you're afraid to lose. Nobody would. So, so. I, I could talk, I could talk at ad nauseum about uh, Ducks 3, but you could, I'll be sure to link to my review of it in the comments if you really want to read that and why I think it's a good movie. Now, at the same time, they added slapstick sound effects that were really not necessary. They added a lot of, like, silly things, like one kid jumping over the the net and, like, 
chase sequence uh, where Charlie's trying to catch up with Goldberg, who's on rollerblades, but now he's out of control. And, he, you know, it's just like there's like some silly slapstick stuff. Really, the sound effects bothered me where the kids are like running in the hallway and you hear like that kind of sound when they're like running. You don't need that. So what watching these three movies. Like the Snagglepuss exit stage left sound. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So they threw, they threw some Hanna-Barbera stuff in there and it was really unnecessary. Um, I thought so the whole wh- movie was unnecessary, but I'm glad you've rediscovered your, your like for it. I, I think it has like I think with like a lot of movies there's good there's good and there's bad parts. I mean, there are movies that I dislike, but I there's there's things in them that I, I really like about them. And I say I see what they were trying to do, but they didn't do it quite right. But you know, you understand. And if you just kind of step back and look at the story, you go, okay, the essence is good, but maybe the execution is not good. Like maybe yeah. the Mighty Ducks three would have been a great novel. Because you wouldn't have any of the cartoony stuff in it, but well, you know, as a movie, it's, it's well. It's and okay. I think at that point, I was burned out on them, and I'm like, oh, "Come on, what are they going to do next?" And it's like, "Oh, okay, great." So when I heard the announcement that they were going to make a series out of it, yep, and turn it into like a new thing, I'm just like, my initial reaction to that was just like, "Great, now what?" And then I saw Emilio Estevez was back. I'm like, "Oh, he's." How old is he? 70? Mm-hmm. He's probably fat and old and everything else. I'm like, what What character is he going to play? Oh, he's playing himself. Oh, mm-hmm. great. What are they going to do? So I've been kind of like, yeah, whatever, on the fence with it. I, did, I saw the preview for it, though. Watching the preview, I feel like the whole thing is sad. <laughs> So I'm not sure. So no, tell, like, explain explain that because well, I, I mean, just the way they play the preview up, it it just seems just kind of sad, and it goes back to if you were to make the first Mighty Ducks movie in today's environment, that's pretty much what this is in the preview. Mm-hmm. Now I haven't watched the first episode, so I don't know how it's opened up you know i don't know how the i don't know how chapter one starts mm-hmm. but just from the watching the previews it's like okay here you got this ragtag bunch of kids coming together trying to form a team trying to be good you know having to learn how to play and you know compete with the teams that are better than them and you know they're outcasts and everything else. and it's like oh well, we're, we're rehashing the first one and it seemed like they the only way they could be good is if they bring Gordon Bombay back. But he's given up on hockey. He's just tired of it. He never could be a success with it. And he's given up on it. And even though he runs a hockey rink, he doesn't want anything to do with hockey anymore. I'm watching that going, huh, this might be interesting. <laughs> so I will say this. So the first episode... And I'm going to try not to really spoil any of it. And my, I also have a review of the first episode, which is really spoiler-free other than stuff that was mentioned in the plot synopsis or, like, the um, the, uh, the the trailer. But um, the first episode is a little slow-paced. Like, at first, it's a little fast-paced because the kid gets cut, like, right away. Um, and, and that's the thing. So, which they uh, show in the preview. Yeah. But, like, so, um, Evan Morrow is the, the main character, and he, um, or he's the main kid, 
And his mother, Alex, takes him to the hockey tryouts for the Ducks. He's now in the 12 to 14 age range. And the coach, Coach T, basically tells him he cuts him. But the thing is, is that he cuts him with like five, like, it's like he played, it almost looked like he played one shift of one scrimmage or something. And then he's like, I'm cutting you. He's like, you're good, but you're not good enough. And then he tells him, he's like, well, coach, I'll get better. He goes, well, maybe so, but it won't be here. And then his mother blows up on him and says, look, I've been taking my kid to hockey practices at 6 a.m. and this and that and the other thing for like a long time and 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 all the money and all the time and everything. And now just like that, you're going to just tell him that he can't play. And then the coach says, well, you know, I'm doing you a favor because if you can't be good at hockey at this point, there's really no point in doing it. Right. So she gets mad. Which about totally that. plays into the whole hockey is for everyone idea. <laughs> no, actually, it plays into a lot of that. If you're not anything by a certain age, you're not going to be anything. You know what I mean? Like, well, you're not good at 12, so you're not going to be good. So you might as well quit. Well, it all depends on what side of the fence you're on. Are you looking to be in the NHL or are you looking to just play something you like to play? Well, and that's the thing. So it's about, that's actually another point that the the mother brings up. She says, is like, look, none of these kids are going to make it to the NHL. So why are you just deciding you're going to cut somebody because they're not as good, you know, not because they're not as good as somebody else, but you're going to just basically tell them you might as well quit because you're not going to be good enough. Like none of these kids are going to play in the NHL. What happened to just having fun? It's it's actually funny because she says, she goes on this rant and she says, what about just kids having fun with their friends and like all the other parents like do eye rolls and stuff. And she cuts, she calls out one of the parents and she's like, well, you, you hired two personal trainers for your boy. And he goes, Oh no, actually one was a trainer and the other one was a sports psychologist. And yeah, she they goes, show that they show that in the, uh, in, in the, the trailer. trailer. And the guy's like, like, actually, uh, I'm a sports psychologist. I'm like, and she's oh my like, God. Does anybody else not see the absurdity of this, right? And and it it it's a great point, you know. And so I liked where it was going because okay, at first the kid gets cut quickly and then it slows down and he has to find like his mother wants to make a team, she has to find a rink for them to play at, he has to find teammates and then it slows down and it just doesn't happen in like a snappy 5-minute montage. He actually has to look in some unusual places to find teammates. And so I liked the first episode. I could see how some people are like, oh, maybe it's a little slow, but that's fine because there's 10 episodes and it should oh, be yeah, paced. I mean, it's a series. They, they yes. spend a few episodes doing character development. That way by episode five, you know who everybody is and you can follow along from that way out. But what I don't like is the portrayal of Gordon Bombay. Because now he hates hockey again. He even says, I don't like kids and I hate hockey, which was his line from the first film. Right. And I I get tired. It's like Luke Skywalker in Star Wars Episode Seven. Now Luke is this crabby old man that lives alone and he won't teach anybody how to use the Force and he doesn't want to be a Jedi and he wants to run from his problems. And it's like Gordon Bombay is, he's in a dilapidated rink, you know, running it. And he doesn't like hockey and he doesn't want anything to do with it. And I, I get tired of that. Like when you have somebody who's young and ideal and I get it, we all start out as young and ideal and then life hands us a bunch of hard knocks. And then we, we kind of become jaded or we lose interest or we don't care. Or we get frustrated or we give up. But it's just, it's like 
come on, this guy was like going to be the head of um, development for the uh, U.S. junior team, right? At, at the beginning of Ducks three, that's why that that's why he's not going to coach the Ducks. So how do you go from a position like that to like running like the worst rink in in town? It just it's it it just that, and I'm sure they'll explain that. But I always hate that mystery of like, oh. Well, he's a bad guy now. Not saying Gordon Bombay, but it's always like, oh, he's a bad guy now in this film that happens twenty years later, and now we get to learn why, and then they'll they'll reveal a little bit at a time, and I just get tired of that. You know what I mean? From the looks of it, at least they didn't do what they did to like the Saved by the Bell reboot and made everybody like kids of the original people. So okay, well, maybe we'll talk more about the ducks as the uh, more episodes come out, uh, depending on um, how you feel about that and how our listeners feel about that. Maybe you're like, no, we don't want you to talk about a hockey TV show. We want you to talk about hockey cards. Um, yeah, everybody's been listening up to this point. They're like, what are these guys doing? Talk about the ducks the whole time. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about the NHL. So there's been a ton of games that have been postponed and now they've been recanceled and we're getting our season is now being extended to May 11th. So yay. Yeah. They want to make sure they get all the games in. So all of the ones that have been canceled for various reasons have all been packed into the end. So they extended it out through May 11th. So I guess the playoffs are going to be sort of delayed, not by much, but somewhat. Oh, it's not like they'll still end at the end of September like last year. That was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we won't see. Hopefully we won't see that. So, um, and then also uh, Canada lowering the uh, the quarantine time from 14 days to 7 days. So maybe some Canadians will be able to migrate to Chicago for the National in uh, end of July. Hint, hint. Well, I mean, it's definitely a, a move in the positive direction. How long that's going to last, I don't know. But, you know, if things are moving in a positive direction, then that's always a good thing. You know, they lowered that. You notice they lowered it, and, like, the next day, Buffalo traded Eric Stahl to Montreal. You know, with the trade deadline coming up, I think that's going to help spur some dialogue between Mm -hmm. maybe Canadian and U.S. teams. You know, because you have to if you have to sit at the border for 14 days and you're in the playoff crunch. I mean, you trade for a player that you can't have for two weeks. That's not going to do you much good. In the No, you need to help the right end. now. Yeah. So I think them lowering that to seven for the NHL is uh, good. I think we might see some might see some excitement during uh, during the trade deadline. So I thought that was funny, though, that Eric Stahl got thrown in there. The Canadian Keller is now a Canadian. Oh, so good for that's them. One of, that's one of those, if you can't beat them, join them. Stahl was always like, he always had his best games against Montreal, especially in the playoffs when he played for the Canes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I have to clarify that, because while he was on the wild, I don't think they ever made the playoffs. So um, it seems like, uh, it, it seems like your wish list of people that you want to see fired has grown. I know Pierre Maguire is, has, is still has a job, but I mean, just going back a couple years, going back a little over a year ago, you had Don Cherry lose his job. You, had I didn't want Don Cherry to be fired. Jeremy Roenick, I didn't Mike want Milbury. Milbury, yes, 
Okay, so you, you didn't have it in for Cherry or Ronick, but Mills, no, Ronick yes. didn't bother me. In fact, he, he was. I liked Ronick, and now Tim and I like Don Cherry. But and Tim Peel, it. despite having the first name of Tim. <laughs> yeah. Okay. First of all, I'm not going to claim to be a fan of any referee in okay. any sport. So that's that. Let's just get that out there. Okay. Right but Tim Peel has been in the league for pff, how many years? It was 20-some, right? 20 years, yeah. Man. So he, so he's he's got a hot mic, goes over to the other referee, and he says, basically, he wanted to call a penalty early so he could get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everyone hears it. Well, what, what ended up happening was somebody, a te- so, some tech person or whatever that, does the sound checks out in the trailer for the broadcast as they always do. They do mic checks during commercial breaks Mm -hmm. to make sure everything's working. Well, they thought they already went to commercial break. So he did a mic check. And of course that's when Mr. Peel decided to say what he said. And of course this has been a big issue over the last week or so with everybody talking about it. The NHL was pretty quick about canning him. And see, here's the interesting thing. So I heard he was fired. Like everybody was like, oh, he's fired, he's fired, he's fired, which he was going to retire at the end of the month anyway. Um, end of the season, end of April. Yeah. So, um, but then I heard later on that he wasn't fired, but he was just removed from doing any more games and he's still going to get his pension and still going to get his retirement and all of that kind of thing. He was just taken out of active duty, essentially. Well, shouldn't he get his pension? He should. And his retirement. I mean, but if you're fired, eh, are you still eligible for that? You should be because I mean, what did he get fired for? It, it was for saying something stupid. Well, was it though? I think he got fired because people heard him say what everybody has known for years. Yes. And it's referees, even up calls. Mm-hmm. They've done it for years. They do it in every sport. It is what it is. And we all knew it. It's just now he basically pulled the curtain back on the whole process by actually getting caught saying it out loud. And so that's what, that's what the big, the big thing is. And you know, if this would have happened 20 years ago, I'm sure nobody would have cared. But now we're in the age of everybody cares about every word that comes out of your mouth. But a bigger thing is fantasy sports and sports betting and the rules on who can and can't place bets on different things Mm -hmm. and what's in people's contracts versus what's not. And as far as I knew, there's nothing that says that players and I mean, I think it's frowned upon, but I don't know that there's actual rules against that. So, you know, you put a bunch of money down on a game with like DraftKings or something like that. And then you're out there, making questionable calls i mean was it a trip okay sure but it was not really i mean that was 
that call I wouldn't have seen called in a lot of games. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So what what bothers me now is it it raises the conversation again, which it's come up before, and it's the whole consistency of officiating crews across the board and what they're going to call and what they're not going to call, and what they're going to let slide and what they're not going to let slide. And it's like, you know, you've, you've gone, we've gone all our lives watching sports and especially hockey thinking, okay, you know, during the season, this is a penalty. This is a penalty. This is a penalty. But in the playoffs, whistles get swallowed, right? Yeah. Because you want to see them play and you want to see the game and you want to see a good game and you want, people to watch and you want ratings and you, you know, you want all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, all of the traditional call it by the book, people have now crawled back out of the woodwork and they're screaming for the call it by the book. Well, you can't, you, you just can't, you can't call it by the book. If you were to call it by the actual rule book, there's rules that are in the NHL hockey rule book that, There'd be penalties called every five seconds. Because if you're calling it by the book, every little ticky-tack thing is going to be called. Mm -hmm. Do you want that? Do you want to watch a a five-and-a-half-hour hockey game that doesn't go into overtime? Is that what what people want? I don't. You know, 27 minutes of penalties per side. I don't want to see that. I don't. Unless there's a fight, a (laughs) bench-clearing brawl. You know, if there's a line brawl, sure. I'm all for it. But if it's just holding, tripping, you know, this and that, interference, no, I don't want to see that. One of the rules in the rule book, if you look, you're not allowed to swear. So I don't know about you, but with no fans in the crowd and hot mics all over the place, I'm pretty sure hockey players and referees swear. Dude, I hear them swear every game. Those mics pick up. Just those on-ice uh, mics or the mics that are just on the cameras or whatnot, I hear F-bombs all the time. I hear yeah. S-word all the time. Well, that's and, a rule. Uh, Swearing and inappropriate comments is a, is a rule, and it should be penalized as an unsportsmanlike penalty. Well, anytime somebody swears, do you want to see an unsportsmanlike call? Come on. So there's a lot of things that are there. So you either go through and you rewrite the rule book and take out all the stupid ones and only put in the, you know, the pertinent ones or no, we're not doing that. So there's got to be something else. There's got to be some other type of consistency and some type of, um, I don't know, some type of summit between the NHL officials and the NHL themselves and the Players Association, and they need to all sit down and have a powwow and decide, okay, here's how we're going to get consistency. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what the, what the right answer is, but in the meantime, Peel's been made an example of, so. I won't say I was a fan of Tim Peel. Um, I, I know a lot of... Uh or let me rephrase that, I know that uh, he is often a popular target of derision from hockey fans, and hockey writers will talk about how he's not a very good referee. I don't really care. Like, I've I've seen bad calls, I've seen bad games, I've seen bad refs, but I, I, don't, I don't, like, say, oh, this referee is so terrible, I wish they'd fire him or whatever. Like, in fact... I think refereeing has got to be the toughest job 
I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 such a hard job to do, and everybody's an expert, you know, on their couch where they can rewind the TV, the DVR, the the Comcast cable box, and 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 slow motion and pause and whatnot. And I, I think what was what's impressive is when the ref gets it right, and when the announcer says, "Oh, maybe that should be a penalty," and then they replay it, or like, "Nope, the ref got it right." You know what I mean? And, and they acknowledge that. Um, yeah, we know that even all up calls exist. Why is Tim Peel fired and not the technician who switched the mic to hot before it was actually commercial? Well, see that I don't know. I tried to find that. I couldn't find anything about it. So. I mean, that's it, it. Look, if that mic went off on Gary Bettman, I would guarantee that that TV technician would have been found out and fired. Probably. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not... I, see, that's the thing. I feel like they're punishing the wrong person. The NHL is trying to give this this whole air of like, oh, well, you know, we don't do that. And they're like, the, I mean, by not commenting on it, by, by saying he's not going to work any more games and not commenting on it, it's like they won't address the problem that, yes, we know that there are even up calls and a lot of the times they're BS and that the refs maybe feel like they have to do this or maybe they're told they have to do this. We don't know. But I feel like they're scapegoating the wrong person. And because it was t- it happened to Tim Peel, everybody's like, yay. You know, but if it happened to, like, maybe a more respected ref. Respected they, ref. That's an oxymoron. Well, I don't know. And I don't even know the referees like I used to because they don't have pro set cards like they did back in the 1990s. I knew them all from Asseltine to Van Hellemond. Even got some of them signed. <laughs> That's funny you bring up Asseltine. I saw the video today again when he tackled that fan that jumped over the glass. That was awesome. Lovely. Did lovely. you ever see that from back in, like, I think it was 88 or 89? Was it a Bruins game? Yes! A Bruins, fan, Bruins fan got pissed off that there was a, wasn't a call made, and he jumped over the glass and started running towards the uh, the headlines guy that was behind the net, and Asseltine just comes out of, he comes out of the, the picture it just plows the guy right into the boards and then they they both grab him and and get him off the ice but yeah it's funny you brought him up because i saw that not too long ago but uh you know not to beat a dead horse but peel's also the one that uh, scored a goal on luongo off of his crotch too so if you remember that the referee that took the puck right off right right in the nuts uh-huh. And it caromed off and went right behind Luongo into the net. <laughs> that was Tim Peel. So uh, the NHL is changing its draft rules, and I actually like some of these. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, The um, after what happened last year. Oh, with the ping pong ball. And we yeah. can't decide if, if the ping pong ball, it was too heavy. No, it was too light. No, there was more paint on the ball because a Rangers logo has more paint than a Red Wings logo. I did. Yeah, nothing happened last. Well, not so much that. It's, it's more of you have the worst team in hockey and they don't even get a, you know, get a spit at the first, you know, at the first pick. That was bad. So, that was yeah. bad. So they're changing the draft rules. So the lottery goes from three to two. So instead of picking three lottery balls, one, two, three, they're going to just do two. Uh, the last place team in the league that finishes isn't going to be able to draft lower than third now. 
Okay. So instead of what? I mean, essentially, yeah. So essentially, the Red Wings would have moved up. Um, clubs can move up a maximum of ten spots, right? So if you make, you know, based off of how everything's pulled, you can move up ten spots. So only eleven teams have a shot at winning the number one pick now, not sixteen like they currently have, but only eleven. So much better because you're really getting the bottom section rather than half the league you know well but half the league doesn't make the playoffs so it makes the sense that if you don't make the playoffs you have a shot at improving your standing in the draft there's a big difference between being on the cusp and just missing by a couple games or a couple points and being the buffalo sabers there's a big difference so yes i am fully behind knocking it down from 16 to 11 yeah, but then you have like the 84 Penguins who, how many games did they lose on purpose? Where did they find that goalie that they put in for their last dozen or so games? Hey, he was legit. Legit. Did he play after that? Um, nah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I... Maybe in like a Russian league. I don't know. Right, um, right. So the other thing is also a team can't win the lottery more than twice over a five-year period. Thank God for that, because I was so, so effing tired of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Edmonton, Edmonton. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just, uh, God, I'm so glad. I don't want to call that the Edmonton rule necessarily, um, because if I was going to make a rule to prevent that, I would say if you draft more than twice – in a five-year period first and you don't know how to use that pick and you blow it, then you lose your picks. <laughs> that would be the Edmonton rule. But could you blame them for drafting Taylor Hall because it was either him or Tyler Sagan and they both ended up getting traded anyway. So it's not like Sagan ended up being a the franchise player that he might have thought to be if it wasn't Taylor Hall. Um Although I mean he's found that he's he's found his groove with the stars, but you know it it took him another. He wasn't that franchise player, nor was Hall. So can you blame him for that, or can you blame him for uh, was R and H taken first overall? Like I can't remember now. Um, he was high. He was I, a high pick though. Yeah, I think so. What oh. year? So Taylor Hall was ten, right? Yeah, the first year of Panini because I yeah, still have so- a Taylor Hall. Jersey card made by Panini, if anybody's interested. Also have one of uh, Tyler Sagan, if anybody's interested. Yeah, so Taylor Hall was in 10. Then then Nuge was in 11. He was number one. He was, yes. Yes. And then Yakupov was in 12. He was number one. Oh, my God. Um, And then they got Darnell Nurse in 13, but he was seven, I think. Think. Okay, well, that's so still top ten, but then fourteen they had Drysaitel at third, so I mean that was that was obviously a good pick for fourteen, and then of course McDavid in fifteen. Right. So the last two weren't bad, but then sixteen they they had fourth pick with Jesse Pugliarvi, which only this year have you heard his name mentioned in the last few years, because up until this point he's been considered by a, a lot a, by many people as a bust. So, you know, I don't remember who they had in 18. Maybe it was that Bouchard kid. 
So the thing is, is that they had the Oilers had a lot of draft first overall or, or or within the top five draft picks oh, in yeah. like a ten year span, and not only have they not really turned it around, but it's like, come on already. I mean, it's like so like honest to God, when I was watching the draft lottery, I said I don't care who gets the first pick as long as it's not Edmonton. I and I honestly thought that because I was just so tired of Edmonton. You know, it's just like. I, I think once you get McDavid or Crosby or Lindros, you don't get another first overall pick for 10 years. I don't know if that would go that long, especially if they are horrible. But, yeah, I mean, you could say the same thing about the Penguins, too, in the in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got Flurry, they got Stahl, they got Malkin, they got Crosby. So, I mean, you're talking guys that were the foundations of winning cups well i mean so. the blackhawks got uh kane first overall and taves was a third overall pick yeah um a lot of the other players though were deeper in the draft but um uh yeah i i so i'm glad that they uh, they're implementing some changes because maybe the draft lottery look it's not perfect and someone's always going to be pissed off about something but it's getting better i like the fact that it's not necessarily just like the order of the worst to the best team. Although actually that was worst to best uh, in standings for the playoffs. But now it's like if the team wins the Stanley Cup, they draft last overall. And I like that. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it boils down to like the worst teams or if somebody else like the Rangers sneak in like they did last year. So let's talk hockey cards. Uh, and the state of the hobby. And I'll just do my really quick Tops Now hockey sticker update. So in our last episode, um, I did mention that the week week eight of Tops Now hockey stickers sold 353 packs. So week nine beat that a little bit with 369 packs, including Connor McDavid, uh, Austin Matthews, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, and Patrick Kane. And in week 10... A whopping 399 packs, including Alex Ovechkin, uh, Nathan McKinnon, and Mika Zibanejad. So these are not selling a heck of a lot. And I can tell you that at least 20 of those packs are being bought by one guy who is basically getting buying 20 at a time to get the bulk discount. And then he can cherry pick out the gold stickers that you get one in every 10 packs and then he could sell the nine stickers to me or some you know to someone like me i'm actually buying them from a from a gentleman who's collecting who's buying them in bulk and then i'm just giving him five bucks or whatever per set instead of spending 7.99 plus tax and then spending almost nine dollars for nine stickers so um what i'm saying is that even though 399 packs sold that doesn't mean there's 399 different people collecting that set it's probably way way less than that uh yeah i I was gonna say you said way way less i would add an extra way probably way 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 less exactly now uh (laughs) going in the opposite direction um from hockey stickers uh and then now we have matthew kachuk our favorite, or least favorite, I don't know. 
I, I know Blake likes him. Blake Isaac, one of our writers, is a big fan of Matthew Kachuk because uh, Kachuk stirs it up. Um, I, uh, I, I like him. He's fun to watch, but uh, he's a bit of a punk. But he's not a pest a, player. Not, huh? He's a pest player. He's a pest player. Any but he's team got would skills want him. Too. It, but that's the thing. He's got the skills. Any player, got, any team would want him in the league. So who would you take, uh, Matthew or Brady? Um, I mean, the Penguins need grit, so I would, I would definitely take Matthew. Right. Who would you take, Matthew or Keith? Oh, Keith now or Keith then? Keith then. <laughs> oh, of, Keith I would, at of course. Twenty-five I would take, or Matthew at twenty-five. I would take the elder statesman. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But. Uh, Keith yeah, or so Walt? I'm, oh, I'm just oh well, no relation. I know there's no relation. I'm no just, relation. Just... Eddie Olchek gave uh, gave the Big Walt nickname to uh, the Big Walt nickname to, to uh, yeah. To Keith, I heard to that. Chuck. I heard that story. It's a good story. Um, so, anyways, Matthew Kachuk is now the first NHL player to release a non-fungible token. So, I guess the whole world has gone crazy now, right? Cats and dogs are friends. And uh, we now have NHL non-fungible tokens, which are probably not going to be nowhere near as popular as the NBA Top Shot NFTs. Because I hate the word fungible. Because I feel like they really, they're trying to say another word, but they just changed it to fungible. So, <laughs> so the NFTs. Um, so uh, let's see, looking at this press release here, it's an image of him celebrating a goal, and then it changes to a close-up of him, I think. Um, and then it's an auction uh, that goes until April 1st. It started at $5,165.89. Uh, it is now at $6,000 as of this recording. No truth to the rumor that Zach Cassian is the high bidder on this auction. So is this like when you're talking about uh, going in that direction, is this like the end of the world now? You know, dogs and cats living together. Is this the old Ghostbusters quote? Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. River and seas boiling. 40 years of darkness. Earthquakes. Volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Right? That's Are you pretty, reading that? That's pretty close to what the quote was. Dude, that's uh, hilarious. I think I might have missed some of it. I've seen Ghostbusters like a billion times in my life. Great. It used to be one of my favorite movies. Great movie. But, yeah, I mean. Oh, quick story. Um, Harold Ramis was the keynote speaker at my college graduation in 2001. Really? Yeah, it was awesome. And um, we were supposed to go up there, shake hands with the school president, take our diploma, well, the diploma jacket, and then exit the stage. But what I did was I shook hands with the president, and then I shook hands with every speaker. We weren't supposed, we were just supposed to shake hands and go around. But then I went around him, went to the first person who was like a news anchor person, thanked them for coming. Another person who was like a politician, thanked them for coming. And then Harold Ramis shook his hand, thanked him for coming, told him he was my favorite Ghostbuster. And then I exited the stage. Nice. Egon gave your address. That's awesome. That was awesome. Yes. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, yes, cats and dogs yeah. getting together. Well, the thing is, you had to know this was coming. 
it was just a matter of time because everybody's jumping in on this because it's a huge thing. It's uber popular. Everybody's into this now. And it's all the, the owning the digital, owning the rights to the basically the digital origination of a file. What am I and, missing and that's really about it. this, though? What are you missing? Because it's, JP- it's not a JPEG, but it's a picture. Huh. It is a picture. It's a picture that anybody can have and copy and paste a thousand times and save it on your computer in a million different ways. However, the person that actually gets and pays for it, they have the source code. So you can say to yourself, I ha- I own this. Even though a million people can have copies of it, you own it. So it's like saying you have the one of one. Everybody else has the same thing as you, but yours is the only one that's stamped one of one. Um, I do need to point out really quick, though, that uh, the person who wins this auction will also get a signed game-used stick, an autographed jersey, and a post-gamer virtual meet-and-greet with Matt. So, I mean, I could see maybe if I was a Flames fan with Deep Pockets bidding on it for those other things. Look, here's the thing. All the money... Well, I don't know about all the money, but proceeds are going to charity. And they're going, going to charity, and that's charities. fine. They're going to two children's hospitals. That's great. That's fantastic. It's awesome. Eh, big, but it also big... gives – charity always gives sports fans an excuse to overspend. Because well, they'll be like, well, yes, I paid $10,000 for this, but it went to charity, right? Like that, that almost becomes their justification, and I guess that's fine. But it's just like if you want it, buy it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't hear the person who spends a million dollars on a Gretzky card saying, oh, but it goes to charity, so I feel okay about that. And I know that's a different topic, but you know what I mean? Like, it just... Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the person that's going to win this and the, the people that it's going to come down to at the end, if it gets into a bidding war, are going to be the people that want the chance to actually meet Matt. Yes. Right? That's what they're going to be going after. That and obviously the autograph jersey and the game you stick. Because chances are the real fans at the end of the day aren't going to give a crap about this digital artwork, to be honest right. with you. And this artist might be a cool artist and his stuff might be worth millions and everything else. But the whole NFT thing, I get it. I understand it. And it's like the whole basis of what cryptocurrency is, is having that ability to, within the blockchain, trace something's origins so you actually can see what it is you know i get it it's not my thing i'm not on board with it if there was a top shot for nhl which should be called top shelf if they have one but i don't think i would jump into it although i use i do top skate and you can make an argument that there is some semblance of that within top skate maybe not with the base cards that you get because there's an infinite amount of those. Right. But as you go up, they become more short printed, short printed, short printed. And then the inserts have only so many in the production run. Most of them show you how many there are. And then you go into the more rare cards and those have an even smaller. I mean, you can get down to like one or two. I don't know if they actually make one of ones on the digital app or not. But I imagine if there's a digital app version of a one of one, then would that not also be a NFT thing? 
maybe i don't i don't know maybe i just don't understand how it works but that's my understanding of it that's a that's a moron's understanding of it well what i liked about the about top skate um were the video cards that had the yeah. video footage those they don't really were cool do those anymore because um i don't know the full reason behind it but i know that they caused some issues with the programming of the app ah um i think they were very heavy on the memory resources. that the app yeah. has and resources yeah. that they, use. they they do have motion cards still last year and this year but they're not like video they're you know like the top shot is a clip Mm-hmm. Of you know a player dunking or a player you know shooting a three or whatever, right? So they're not like a clip like they used to be like that, but they'll be like motion on a card. Reminds me of like a sport flex where if you turn it a certain way, it flips one thing or flips another, or a magic motion card or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what they more remind me of, where it's you're looking at the card and it does some kind of like digital animation kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, no, I. Yeah. Remember, like, sometimes the prize would be a little magic motion card? Uh, yeah. Those are the best. The worst were the tattoos, and the best were the little magic motion cards. Uh, I think mostly I would always get tattoos. I think that's yeah. Those are trash. The, uh, I mean, the little magic motion cards were where it was at for me. Like, I got one of those. That was a good prize. Yeah. That, I mean that that's kind of where I where my understanding is of of that whole thing so but that's about as far as I go you know the the top shot craziness with moments video moments selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars I I don't know whatever I think it's that's just people with money people with money trying to be early adopters cuz then they'll make a lot of money on it if it if it's successful lots of people already have I mean, that's the thing. And, and it's still in beta. Like that thing with that the company Dapper that makes mm-hmm. that, it's still all beta, mm-hmm. which is even, it blows my mind even more. And they have their problems. They have issues all the time. People talk about it all the time. Because it's become so popular, they can't handle the influx of all the users that are trying to get in on it. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. So if something ever does, and they're supposedly developing stuff for other sports too, so. Whether they do something with hockey or not, I don't know. But so uh, merely a... in the beginning. And what's that? Friend. I said we're merely in the beginning of it, my friend. So coming to an end is the Wayne Gretzky auction for a uh, a rookie card, a PSA nine OPG seventy nine eighty Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Currently, as of this recording, at two hundred and five thousand. Say it again: two hundred and five thousand. 953 which is about 205,000 more than I want to pay for one. Um the PSA 10 sold for 1.29 million in December, which is crazy, but 205,000 is also crazy. It's only a PSA 9. Oh my god, the horror of a mint card. Yeah, it's a PSA 9, I think they're I don't know how many PSA 9s are out there. I didn't look it up, but I know there's only two PSA 10s, and we talked about that before when this yep. other auction happened. So, um, yeah, so 205000 for a 9. So, so right now, there's your difference. $1.29 million for a 10. 
losing one grade, you're down to 200,000. Ouch. Um, but yeah, I mean, still PSA nine, it's, it's a pretty decent looking card and it has all the same things that the other card has, you know, it has the, the, the jaggedy edges and stuff like that. But just like anything else, you got to grade it based off of the time period and what was available. So, but it's a really nice looking card. So we'll see four days left on that auction. We'll see how it ends. So uh, getting back to cats and dogs, um, getting along and just how crazy things have been. So hockey cards has finally gotten, uh, gotten bit by the crazy bug. That's, that's infected all the other sports cards. So let me, let me just backpedal a little bit. You had the pandemic, you had people sheltering at home. This gave people a lot of time to stay at home and do stuff at home. And you had people start to rediscover their old sport card collections that were in their closet or at their parents' house or whatever. And they have time, so they go through it again, right? They have time and they have the internet, so they could go through it again. They could look things up. They could say, oh, you know, I never did get that Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card that I wanted, or I never get, did get that uh, Opeechee Premier Yarmir Yager rookie card or whatever. So then this causes the prices to increase. Then you have all these sports happening over the summer, the NBA, the NHL, and baseball. You have people sheltering at home, so they're watching a lot more sports. So, of course, that's going to make them even more interested in their old sports cards. And you know what? In new sports cards, too, because it's like, oh, well, I guess they're still making football cards. This is kind of cool. Maybe I'll get back into it, right? Then you also have the fact that people who would be spending money on other stuff can't spend that money. They can't spend their money on a vacation because they can't go anywhere. So the money that they would spend, and these are the people who have the money to spend the money, not the people who are getting laid off, like restaurant workers or uh, people at other companies, and, and that's terrible. I mean, I've been very lucky because I'm a teacher and I've been able to do all my teaching from home. But um, so the point that I'm making is sports cards exploded like it was like it's 1990 all over again, although for different reasons. And also the price points are a lot higher, not just for inflation, but because now you have sets like the cup that sell for lots of money right out the gate. None of this 50 cents a pack and maybe you'll pull a $10 card. Now it's $500 a pack and maybe you'll pull a $2,000 card or a $5,000 card or 10,000 if you get it graded. The one thing I wanna say though, before I, uh, by, before I shut my mouth and, and let you speak is that I always felt that hockey was pretty well insulated from most of this, even up till last November, right before uh, Upper Deck Series 1. I felt that hockey was insulated from this, and I was able to kind of look, you know, look over my glasses, like down my nose and over my glasses, like a cool guy, though. Not like a nerd, not like the nerdy professor guy that I am, but like the cool guy who looks looks over his glasses at you and says, look at those basketball card collectors and oh zion ja yo i gotta get a rookie oh oh it's oh it's it's prism oh it's uh what's the other one a mosaic ah right like like and i i think of like what's going on at like targets and walmart and i've seen this where there's like five or six guys waiting for the vendor to unload the cases and oh got any got any panini basketball ah right and it's like it's like 
football and basketball collectors are like the zombies in 28 Days Later that just climb over each other to get to, but instead of to get to like Brad Pitt or whomever the good guy is, they're trying to get to the basketball cards or, or the football cards. Cause you see this, like, I would say that basketball and football collecting is more similar. And I'd say that baseball and hockey is more similar. The only difference is that baseball is way more popular. And the other thing is, is that tops makes enough product to meet or exceed the demand. Whereas Panini doesn't necessarily with its products, right? Because you have stuff like Prism and Mosaic selling for, you know, a $10 pack is selling for $30, $40. A box that's, you know, a $10 blaster uh, is selling for like $80 if it's like basketball. I mean, it's, it's, but with hockey, we've been a little insulated from that because nobody cares about hockey except hockey collectors. So I've been kind of happy about that, but now I'm not so happy because that's changing. And it scares me and it annoys me. And now I'm competing with people who normally don't give a you-know-what about hockey, but now they're going to go and they're going to buy all the series too. And they're going to be like, oh, I don't know what a Tim Stutzel is, but I I hear he's pretty good. Maybe I can get $300 for his young gun. Oh, it's up to $300 now? No, I don't know, but... (laughs) Uh, actual price may vary yeah well look i don't disagree with you on anything that you've said thus far um you're right everybody has a card story right everyone you know kids collected at some point or another and even if they don't collect now everybody's got some story i collected when i was a kid i bought 10 cent packs I remember flipping cards as a kid. I remember putting them in my bike spokes. I remember when my mom threw out my collection. Everybody's got some type of story. The thing is, like like you said, everybody's had uber amounts of time to sit and ponder those stories and think about them and remember them. And now all of these people that were collecting during the boom of the late 80s, early 90s that long got out of the hobby have had the time to go back and look and find it and they realize oh yeah these are really cool cards i remember these i remember these i wonder if i can get some more of these because now i have disposable income that i didn't have back then and (laughs) you're right I, i felt hockey was as you said insulated as well. I thought hockey, I used to use the term immune. Hockey's always been immune to the flux in the market for the last few years. And we've seen it. It's been going on for the last few years in most of the sports. But hockey's remained immune. Last year is when I started noticing when things started to change. And, you know, we talked about on one of the shows after Mika Zabinijad scored the five goals in the game Mm -hmm. how all of a sudden his young gun cards went from three dollars the one day to thirty dollars the next day and it was just this immediate uptick well all of that's been happening in all the other sports like jordan's always been popular jordan always will be popular the greatest basketball player ever arguably i'm well i'm not gonna argue because i'm not gonna argue that either he is in my mind but look at his documentary came out and then all of a sudden, those dollar and two dollar Jordan cards were 
$10 and $20 now. And it's like, these are the ones that were mass produced in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, you know, like the hoops and the yeah. skybox and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I had dozens of those that I got for a quarter and now they're, you know, people are buying them for 10, 12 bucks. I'm like, what? This is, this is, this is insanity. So, so you saw this, you saw it swirling around and swirling around and swirling around, but here's hockey sitting in the middle in the eye and it's calm and you don't see a whole lot. And then all of a sudden something pops up. You're like, what is that? That's weird. Like, why did that do that? Okay. Well, it's going to calm back down. And generally it would like after the hype's gone and everything else, it would just slowly trickle back down to where it was. And so when we, when we got all, you know, hyped up about series one coming out for this year for the 2021 season, you know, everybody's on board, ready for flagship. What they want to see that product. That's like the hot item. And generally it comes out and it's 70 to a hundred bucks a box on release day, depending on the year. Well, now all of a sudden it's 125 a box on release day. Well, why? Because they've been overhyping Alexis Lafreniere, as they should. He's number one draft pick. He's going to be the spokesperson for the product. Let's go after it. Let's get him in there. Let's promote it, pump it up. Well, now there's focus on sports cards, and people are going to the store and they can't find stuff on the shelf. But what is still on the shelf? Hockey cards are all still sitting on the shelf. Can't buy the basketball, can't buy the football, can't buy the baseball. I want to buy something. So I'm going to buy that. Is it any good? I don't know, but I'm going to buy it. So now you start hearing all the publicity of this Alexis guy. Who the heck is this Alexis guy? Let's go after it. Let's let's get it. So as soon as it hits, boom, I'm buying it. Buying it. I'm buying that. I'm buying that. And I'm going to put the same treatment on that as I did on everything else. You know, if I'm buying that for 20 bucks, I'm going to sell it for 50. So I'm buying this for 20 bucks. I'm going to try to sell it for 50, you know? And so it's like this trickle down effect, but just like anything else, I felt like this too shall pass. And so there's all this hype in the beginning. And then as time moves on, it's going to slowly subside. So like this giant wave comes in and it crashes down and then the tide rolls back out. And that's how it seems to have been. It helped that, um, Alexis had a slow start, right? Alexis Offrenier didn't score in, I don't think he had a point in his first, what, 10 games, maybe? Something like that. And it was yeah. an assist, I think, that he got first. Yeah. So he wasn't living up to the instant, immediate impact expectations as everybody. So it started to reflect on his prices. And his prices went from $400 down to $350, down to $275, down to $250. Down to 200, and then you were seeing his young gun, regular young gun cards. I saw him under 100 bucks at one point in some cases. Now they've since kind of moved back up a little bit, but still, you saw that subside. What pushed it over the edge was the sale of that Gretzky card. That's it. I'm convinced that what pushed everything over the edge was the sale of that Gretzky card for over a million dollars, the 1.29 million. That, that's what did it because all of the attention and everything that gets put on all of those auction sales up to this point have always been on 
oh, this Mike Trout card sold for, for whatever. This LeBron James sold for whatever. This this Jordan rookie sold for whatever. And it's, you know, a, a Mickey Man, a 50-whatever Mickey Mantle sold for whatever. It's always been that. This is the first Gretzky, this is the first hockey card, I should say, that went for this much. And so now people went, uh, a hockey card for a million dollars? What? Maybe I should start paying attention to this. Now here we are. We're not talking about, you know, a few people with some influence walking in and manipulating a price and trying to, you know, make the market adjust in their favor because they have whatever. We're not talking about, you know, a couple people you know, hobby elites that are pushing that value. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a tsunami of people jumping over into this realm of the hobby that they wouldn't have normally paid attention to. Well, and we had this happen in the early 90s because I remember I got into hockey card collecting just before it became huge. I mean, I bought like, I know this wasn't Gretzky's rookie year, but I remember buying a 78, 79 top set for something like seven ninety five or nine ninety five. It was like under 10 bucks. And I remember buying like an 84, 85 top set for like six ninety five. And in 1989 money, that, that was still pretty good. I mean, that wasn't like, I mean, you know, figure with inflation, things are a little bit doubled. But I mean, if you think about getting a set that's like, 10 years old for like 15 bucks, you're like, eh, okay, you know, $7.95 or $8 or, you know, 20 bucks. And then it just skyrocketed. Like it skyrocketed and it was so frustrating for me back then because I was like 14, 15 and I got into hockey and it's all I wanted to collect. But then all of a set, sudden sets that were selling for like $20 were now all of a sudden $100. I mean, I remember... 8182 OPC at one point being a $400 set. Maybe it is now. I don't know because I've got one many years ago and I, I never had to look and buy it. I mean, I think I bought that set for $100 back in 2002. We had like an ec- economic crash in the United States around then, but I had the money to buy stuff and a lot of people didn't. So I actually took advantage of, you know, the disposable income that I had and, and also the internet and the point I'm making is, though, back in the early 90s, I had to compete with people and that I normally wouldn't compete with. It's one thing to compete with another hockey fan because we like the same things. It's another thing to compete with either somebody who collects other sports who just says, eh, you know what, I'm going to invest in this hockey because now they're my competition. Or somebody who just says, I'm going to make money off of hockey cards. And it's like, well, screw you. You don't even like hockey. You know, and now you're going to like, you're going to buy it for $5 and try to sell it to me for $10. Or you're going to, you're going to buy it. You're going to ask me what it's worth because you found my puck junk blog. And then you're going to offer to sell it to me. It's annoying. And it's, it's, it's a little bit like the nineties all over again. It's exciting in a way. It was exciting in a way, but now it's starting to get a little bit frustrating in a way. At least that's how I feel about it. Well, and you're not the only one. I mean, even people that don't collect hockey and and collect the other sports, I mean, they're frustrated too because they look at it from the standpoint of I'm a collector and I'm looking for product that I can add to my collection. And 
you know, look at and open packs and have fun and enjoy the hobby that I'm in. So many people have now been priced out of it because you don't have these 60, 70, $80 boxes that you can buy. They're double. I mean, Let's series one came that. out at 125, 125 bucks. Series two came out. You cannot find a box of series two less than $170. And that is nuts for 24 packs. $170. Sometimes it's up to 200 In most of the Canadian markets, it's closer to 180 to 190 Do you really um, want to spend $8 a pack on Series 2? I mean, what are you going to get? $8. Some card, shops are, some card shops are selling them for $20 a pack. For a pack. And then you're going to get what? You're going to get seven base cards and a portrait. And those base cards are still going to be worth a nickel. Here, the advice that I usually give people, especially when it comes to this, is if you're a set builder, do not buy a box. Just don't. No. There's no reason to. It's absolutely futile to buy a box because you're going to need more than one anyway to have some semblance of a set. So you would need two boxes. And so if you're going to buy two boxes and invest 300 bucks, well, it'd be more than that. If you're going to invest $350, essentially... Mm-hmm. buying two boxes of these cards, you're going to end up with 12 young guns. So essentially you got to look at where's the money in the, where's the money in the boxes, right? And whether you are collecting the base or collecting the stars or collecting the inserts or whatever, from a market standpoint, the real money is in the young guns. There's no argument there, right? Right. Okay. So if the, if the money's in the young guns and you're spending 350 bucks on two boxes, you get 12. Do the simple math there. You know, $350, right? Plus so tax. Like $30 and, a young well, gun, basically. Yeah, $350 plus tax and whatever else you're doing. And, you know, the cost and time that it takes you to obtain it. So maybe you ordered it and it didn't cost you anything, but you still ordered it and had it shipped to you. You're spending almost $30 a hit for those young guns. On the grand in the grand scheme of it, on two boxes, I urge anybody to go on Com C, not necessarily to buy anything because I won't get into that story. But hmm. look at the for sale prices. Now, people don't like for sale prices; they like to see sold prices. But the problem is, this is a marketplace. This is a marketplace where you can buy something right here, right now, instantaneously, and put it into your account. Right. I'm not talking about an auction where you have to bid against a bunch of people and there's a whole bunch of factors involved with everything else. I'm talking buy it right now. Go to the last three years, maybe four years, maybe even five years and look at the young gun prices. Unless you're a superstar and you're the biggest name rookie. Those cards are not thirty dollars. They're not twenty dollars. They're not ten. Some of them aren't even one. Dollar as we've affectionately called them scrub guns there are many every year because a basic upper deck set has how many young guns 50 49 in a checklist in series one and then 49 in a checklist in series two yeah so you're talking 98 players right so there's 98 players that are in this list of potentially 30 dollar cards and of those 98, 
maybe six of them. We'll even say 10. Let's go with 10. 10 of the 98 are probably going to be decent. Well, 10 out of 100, because those checklists still count as a young gun hit. Yeah, they do count as a young gun hit, which kind of sucks, because nobody wants those checklists. Right. Which which is kind of stupid. You can pick up the uh, Alexei Lafreniere checklist for like a couple bucks, which is crazy considering the regular young gun is how much it is. But I guess nobody nobody sees the affection for having a player or two players on a checklist. Um, but that's it's another, a checklist. Yeah, and you know it's funny story. when I built a seventy one seventy two tops hockey set. The very last card I got for that set was a checklist. And I remember getting it in like 2001 and I bought it at a show and the dealer sold it to me for something at the time, which I thought was insanely cheap, like $10. And I knew this dealer I'd bought from him before. And I looked at it, I said, really? Just 10 bucks? And he goes, yeah, man, it's a checklist. I go, yeah, but it's an unmarked checklist. I mean, I wasn't trying to say, oh, here, I want to pay you more money. I was just in such disbelief. And he's just like, it's a checklist. It's the least exciting card in the set. He had a point, and I was happy to get it for what I got it for. But you know, they're just well. You're talking back when checklists were checklists. Nobody right. cares about in, them now because everything's even in online. 2002, but getting a, a 1972 Topps hockey checklist in 2002, um, you know, so it was like 30 years at that point. It was, I mean, that was a find. You know, still to find one unmarked. Because yeah. this was still like eBay was only a few years old at that point. It wasn't you didn't have COMC, you didn't have um, the Beckett Marketplace, you didn't have all these avenues to buy cards like you do now. I think um, any checklist that's mid eighties or older that's not been marked and isn't all jacked up is a good find. <laughs> oh, I, I I agree, but yeah, I don't think checklists are important. Or I don't think they're really necessary now because you can just get that online. You can just download a spreadsheet from Upper Deck or President's Choice or Tops or whoever you buy cards from. And so you don't really need to have a card dedicated as a checklist. I mean, right. I honestly, I'd rather have a card of the Stanley Cup winners as like the last two cards or like a couple of award winners, something about the previous season, you know, a card of the MVP, a card of the Stanley Cup champion. I'd rather have those two cards as yeah. 199 and 2000 in, in Series 1, then checklists. Because nobody marks them, nobody needs them, and the text is so damn small on them anyways, half the time I don't even want to look at them to say, oh, I need card 44, who's card 44? And it's like looking at this, you know, squinting at this little, you know, because they cram 100 names on the back of the card, they don't even use both sides of it. Well, even if you did use it like a checklist, what are you going to write on it with? It's glossy print. You can't use a ballpoint pen, you can't use a pencil, and you can't use a marker it'll smear off so what are you supposed to use to check it off yeah a, i don't know. get yourself a little mini hole punch and punch each one of them out like but the guy you, from like the guy from the uh, polar express you know do that whole thing yeah so you know like i said back you know to my point on that so you have these 30 dollar young guns that aren't 30 dollars, and some of them are 50 cents mm -hmm. and you, you'll see that across the board and Here's something that hockey has that I think a lot of the what, what do we want to call them? a lot of the new the new breed the newcomers the noobs the the influx what what do we want to, what do we want to label them anything or just just say the 
the vast majority of the new people getting involved in the hobby that are out for turning a quick buck. No labels, man, because labels is what keeps us apart. Okay, well, no labels. I don't want to be canceled. Um, or, or we could call so them the flippers. Wh- whatever we want to call them, we all know what we're talking about here. So that that grouping of people, I don't think they know all of the mechanisms and the avenues of this portion of the hobby. Yeah, every hobby has its own thing. Every hobby has like its little idiosyncrasies here and there and what goes mm-hmm. on with it. And we've, mm-hmm. we've talked, everybody knows that's been collecting hockey cards for as many years like we have and is involved in the hobby and, and immerses themselves in it. They kind of know how the hobby works within hockey. Well, Upper Deck's had an exclusive license for many, many years. Upper Deck is the only one that makes the licensed product. They're pretty much the only thing that people are jumping on because that's all that's out there. Sure, there's President's Choice, there's Leaf, there's the top stickers. Padini has their online digital stuff if you like uh, Capo Caco and the other guy, Kraftsoff. Kraftsoff. But Upper Deck's the only game. You're not going to go to a retail store and find a box of President's Choice, mm-hmm. you, 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 or Leaf. You're not going to. You're not going to see that. Uh, maybe at a hobby shop. But I digress. So Upper Deck's readily available. Upper Deck has something called EPAC. For anybody that's never heard of EPAC before, EPAC gives you a shot at opening digital packs that also have real cards. And all of those packs that you would go and buy. For $170 a box that are going to have a bunch of base cards and probably 12 inserts and six young guns and maybe a few parallels. You're going to get those same cards in the digital pack. The difference is you can keep all of them except for the base cards. The base cards aren't real. All the rest are. The inserts are real. The young guns are real. The hits are real. Numbered cards, autographs, anything that you would pull that would be the money card is real. The problem is with EPAC combined with ComC and ComC being as big of a marketplace as it has become and more collectors jumping in on there, using it as a source to buy and sell because there's now more people in the hobby buying and selling, it's now a place to unload all of your real cards that you pull on EPAC. And as more and more of those cards get to ComC and go out into the marketplace, and instead of having the five or the ten that people sent in in their boxes of shipment of cards that they send to ComC, there's now 700 of them that have been transferred from EPAC accounts. So I'm no economist by any means, but if you went from having 10 of something to having 700 of something, what do you think that's going to do to the price? It's going to deflate the heck out of it. Oh, it's going to deflate the heck out of it. Oh, and, and I know this. It takes me back to the 50 cent young guns. The reason why they are as low as they are is because there are tons of them. Tons and tons and tons of them available. And there's marketplaces like ComC, for example, or 
I don't want to say the Beckett Marketplace because that's a little different. That's more of a clearinghouse for all of the vendors and their shops that they have across the country that are involved with that. But you, you, you kind of see what, what we're getting at here is there's many, many outlets to find these things. And I'm, I haven't even begun to talk about what's really driving the dollar signs here. And that's the auction houses that are doing huge volume numbers. You know, these auction houses like Heritage and Leland's and all of those that have been selling these million dollar cards. They're having record years because of the numbers of people that are jumping in on this. The eBay auctions that are out there, some of them are ridiculous, ridiculous. And who knows how many private sales are going on between collectors. So there's all this stuff entering in the circulation and more and more of it's getting out there that otherwise would have never been and never been paid attention to and have sat in collections for years and locked away in a safe and hidden away in a binder somewhere and in a box somewhere and, you know, left to rot until the, the three generations from now decides to dig it out after somebody's house sells because nobody wants it in the family anymore and they find all this cool stuff and then they try to sell it later on. It's all being unearthed and it's all being unearthed right now. That's you know, yeah, go ahead. where we're at. That's what's brought all of these people in because they're like, we can make, you know, we can sell this for five bucks and we can sell this for 10 bucks and we can sell this for $700. We can sell this for $7,000. And it's like, okay, now there's another one that's been sold. And so now I have this one. I sold it for seven grand. Well, I'm going to sell it for eight grand now because I bought it for seven. I'm going to sell it for eight. I'm going to make a thousand dollars. And then somebody over there goes, holy cow, that's worth 8,000. Well, I'm going to sell mine. I'm going to try to get it 8,200. 8, and somebody else says, well, I have that. I'm going to sell it for 8,500. Or and then it sells for 8,500. And the next guy's like, look, this sold for 8,500. I'm going to sell mine for 9,000. And or so on and so forth. You, or on the other hand, you say, okay, a Gretzky rookie sold for a million dollars, 1.29 million. And I don't have anything near that good, but you know what? I have a tops Gretzky rookie. Maybe I can get some money for it. Right. Cause this million dollar Gretzky has uh, brought interest into hockey. So like, for instance, I mean, I've been watching Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky rookie cards um, on uh, eBay and I've seen, okay. So recently, um, a PSA six Wayne Gretzky sold for um, it was a tops PSA six uh, 7980 tops Wayne Gretzky card sold for two grand on eBay. An ungraded Gretzky tops rookie card with the whole set, so the whole 264 card set sold for about twenty three hundred dollars. And now I'm thinking, hmm, man, if I needed two grand, I could sell. I have a tops Gretzky rookie, and I have that full set. And I'm like, wow. You know, this set that was like a couple of years ago, it was like a hundred dollar set without the Gretzky card. And now it's like a couple hundred dollars set, even without Gretzky. I've even watched it without Gretzky go for a couple hundred dollars because people want that set if they have a Gretzky rookie. You know, that's the other thing is that people say, hey, you know what? I don't have a Gretzky rookie, but I have a Lemieux rookie. Maybe I can get something for it. And then people say, hey, you know, Mario Lemieux is pretty good, and I might not be able to afford a Gretzky rookie, but I could afford a Lemieux rookie. 
I'll buy it for, like you said, you know, $500 and then try to sell it for $600. So uh, what did they say? A tide uh, raises all ships. I'm, I'm botching tide. that quote, but you know yeah. that, what a, I'm saying, a, right? A rising tide raises all ships. A rising yes. tide raises all ships. So that Wayne Gretzky card for $1.2 million or $1.29 million is a rising tide. And now all of a sudden you have people who say, you know what? I don't have any Gretzky rookies, but you know what I got a lot of? I got a lot of um, 89 tops Brett Hall rookie cards. Maybe I can get something for that. And then all of a sudden this card that should be like a $20 card is now like a $50 card or something because people are saying, you know, I can't afford to invest in Wayne Gretzky because he's way out of my price range, but maybe I can invest in other players. So yeah, that is what's happening. I mean, well, I'm kind of interesting... saying what you just said, but yeah. But what I find interesting to that, not to like be a, in opposition, but other than Gretzky and maybe Mario Lemieux and like the occasional hangers on of like the Isermans and the Waz and, you know, the, the big name guys, right? Yeah. Generally, unless your name's Bobby Orr or Gordie Howe, no one pays attention no. to the older guys mm-hmm. or Hall of Famers for that matter. Mm-hmm. Where the market's being driven right now is new, new product, new players, new rookies. Because how else, if if I don't know anything about hockey and I'm trying to jump into something and be an expert, expert, and if if you can't hear my voice when I say expert, that means I'm air quoting it (laughs) for the, for those that can't see me, which is everyone, um, you need something that you have direct access to, right? And sure, there's YouTube. You can watch videos of all these guys, but how many people are going to go out and watch all those videos? If you're trying to sell it to the masses, well, how do you know those masses all have seen videos of Brett Hall and know his story and know that he was had his foot in the crease when they scored that goal? I mean, how many people know all of that that aren't hockey fans? I'm going to go with none, right? It's probably a safe bet that it's going to be none. And so what do they have access to? Well, they have access to their TV. And they can see the highlights that are current. And they can see that, oh, this Stutzla guy out of Ottawa, he sounds pretty good. This Kirill Kaprizov that's blowing everything up in Minnesota, he's pretty good. Oh, there's all this hype between this Alexei Lafreniere. These are the guys. And who else? Crosby and Ovechkin and McDavid. So it's like, here's your superstars, you know, and then here's what's hot. That's readily accessible. And now ESPN's going to get hockey, and ESPN's going to put the highlights on TV. And if you think this is going to get better before it gets worse, you're sadly mistaken. Because when all of the NHL highlights get thrown back on television and they're put on Sports Center and they're talked about on the morning shows and they're talked about by the talking heads on all the sports channels and it shows up in, you know, pardon the interruption, conversations about hockey and there's games on and everything else and it's now back into the, the consciousness of the general sports watching market, it's going to get crazy. So thinking that these boxes 
are too expensive and we're being priced out. Yeah, that may very well be. But imagine how it's going to be when hockey is back into the mix of the top sports in everybody's living room every day by having it on ESPN. It's going to make it main, more mainstream. Guaranteed. All these fair weather, I don't want to call them fair weather fans, but all these casual. people that come in, the casual people that, and the people that don't know about hockey and don't really want to know about hockey, they just want to make a dollar here and there off of you know, the trends that are going on. Well, now they're going to see, hey, that's that guy that I was trying to sell for 100 bucks. Wow, he's pretty good. Maybe I should try to sell him for 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should hold on to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should see what happens. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, like when we preface the conversation in the beginning, you know, what's causing this? Is it boredom? People stuck at home? You know, interest rates are super low right now. Money's cheap. Stock market's been had been doing crazy stuff for the last year or so and investors are trying to get you know the biggest returns as they possibly can and we've got all this extra money what are we going to do with it well let's find other things to invest in let's invest in nft let's invest in you know sports cards okay we're going to put our capital in that and turn that into an investment thing i don't know there's the there's the argument that sports cards aren't an investment like it's a tangible item, therefore it can't be an investment. I get it. I get all of that. I agree with a lot of that. But as much as I don't like it, as much as I don't like being able to like walk into a Target and buy a blaster box of artifacts, <laughs> as a joke, because <laughs> I wouldn't do that, of anything for that matter, I can't find it. And it's frustrating. And there's massive lines of people. And now you use signs and you have to go to the customer service desk in almost every store. Meyer used to be immune to it. Not anymore. Uh, Meyer, you have to do the same thing too now. Uh, and Target and Walmart. And pretty what much is any, that that you have to do? Uh, go to the customer service desk or show up on a certain day of the week at a certain time. And that's the only time you can buy them. Or ask somebody and they'll bring you like one Mm-hmm. And it's one per customer. I mean, everybody has their own rules, but it's pretty much that way across the board now from a retail standpoint. Mm-hmm. So your other option is to go to your local card shop. Many, many, many collectors don't have one within 30 miles of their house or mm-hmm. 100 miles of their house, depending on when they, where they live. You know, as much as I would enjoy being able to participate in that aspect of the hobby... I see what's happening. I understand what's happening. I don't have to like it. But just like in the 1990s when that boom was happening, I don't want to be the get off my lawn guy as much mm-hmm. as I don't like it. I think there is going to be an unpopular opinion. And I can't even believe I'm going to say it. But I think there's room for everybody. And here's why. Okay. All those people that are getting rich quick off of flipping Kirill Kaprizov and Lafreniere for $200, $300, $400 or whatever they're getting for them right now are probably not going to get that a year from now. And those that are buying and keeping in their collection 
that's exactly what they're doing. They're buying and they're keeping. And yeah, his cards might go down in value or they're just pick a player. You can pick the name. Their card might go down in value, but to a collector, it's going to sit in their collection. And it may go up someday and they may decide to sell it someday and they may make a buck themselves. But chances are it's going to sit in the collection. And 12, 18, 24 months from now, are all of those people that brought the money in and took the money out still going to be there? I don't think they will because they'll be moved on to something else. Whatever's the popular thing then. I, I saw today that a, a, some Fortnite card sold for $11,000 in an auction oh. on eBay. I didn't even know they made Fortnite cards, first of all. But yeah, so here we are. Fortnite cards selling for thousands of dollars. Pokemon cards sell for thousands of dollars. You know, magic cards now. So pretty much any card, anything that's tradable, anything that comes out of a pack that you can gamble on, that it's going for all of that money. So I don't think the quick hitters, there's a good name for them, the quick hitters. I like that. I don't think they're going to be around at that point in time. And I think the collectors still will be. I think those of us that can stay, I don't want to use the term stay in your lane, but it's kind of that, you know, I collect sets. I collect Pittsburgh stuff. I'm not going after all of these guys other than trying to get one of their card to put in my set. Mm -hmm. I'm not chasing them. I'm not trying to make millions of dollars off of them. Mm-hmm. Do I have stuff that I don't want? Yeah, sure. And I'm trying to trade it away to people that do want it. You know, do I sell cards on occasion? Yeah, sure. What do I do with the money I get? I buy more cards. <laughs> so, you know, I'm buying stuff that I want. I'm trading for stuff that I want. You know, I have a trade working with a guy now. I gave him a ton of Buffalo cards. And with any luck, he's going to send back a bunch of Pittsburgh stuff. So it's like I'm replacing one for the other, but it's stuff I'd rather have than stuff that I don't care about. And I think there's room in the hobby for everything. There's room for the people that are just trying to hit and go. And there's room for those of us that are long-term collectors. Because again, knowing how the functions of this part of the hobby works and how hockey generally works, because, and not everything's available on EPAC, but because I look back at how EPAC functions and how product, when it comes out, it's super high. It's like here, when it hits the market and everybody grabs it all, and then it comes out on EPAC and it's where the MSRP was supposed to be. And you can buy it on EPAC. And sure, you might not get all the base cards, but chances are, if you wanted a base set, you could go and purchase it in an auction for 10 bucks and then piece it together from everything else. You're still opening packs, maybe not physically in your hands, but now all of that inventory is out there and it's more and more inventory and it's more and more inventory. And what does that do to all those people that are chasing those big hitting cards? Well, it lowers those cards and they're going to see, Holy crap, this card, I was trying to sell this card for 300 bucks. That guy over there got 800 of it two months ago. And now I can't even get 200 for it. I'm out. And then that's that guy goes away. And then the next guy comes along. I can't even get $100 for this card that was selling for 500 you know, 
three months ago, I'm out. He's gone. So not that I'm wishing that on anything, because, of course, having, you know, my collection in that room over there, my collection was probably worth way more than I'm going to say, but it might have been worth five grand two years ago. Today, with today's numbers, with the market the way it is, it's probably worth 20 grand. Am I going to sell it? No. Am I going to get rid of it? No. Am I going to stop collecting because it's worth so much? No. None of that's going to happen. It's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for me. And it's probably not going to happen for 99.9% of the people that are still hanging on listening to the show. <laughs> no. So I guess that that was a, a, a long roundabout way of saying just wait for EPAC to come out and that'll make Upper Deck Series 2 a little more affordable than 8 to $20 a pack, depending on how and where you buy it. Well, sure. From a Series 2 standpoint, yeah. Series 1 came out. It was crazy. And then it hit EPAC. And then all of a sudden, I mean, yeah, Lafreniere's play didn't help. But also, when there were more of those cards available, the prices went down. And you started seeing it more and more. Granted, everybody posts the big hits, right? Mm-hmm. So all you saw on social media was, I got it a Lafreniere, and you got a Lafreniere, and this guy got a Lafreniere. And they were there was Lafreniere's, it seemed like, everywhere. But how Lafreniere much product... is everywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> there were so many people opening boxes and packs and cases and everything else. I mean, how many people didn't get them? I, I would hope that it's disproportionately higher on the didn't get than it was i didn't get one but i i will tell you this i opened probably the equivalent of a box and a half through epac and i got two wow and i got four of the checklist wow so so yeah, I don't physically have them in hand, but those are physical cards. And all I have to do is throw them over in my little thing and click the button and pay for shipping and they're mine and they're in my hands. And I didn't overpay. I didn't pay $300 for a box. I didn't pay 20 bucks a pack. I paid five. Even if you add in the, sh- the inflated shipping cost, I'm still not anywhere near what people are paying to buy it off of a shelf at a store or to order it online from a dealer. So, not that it's going to be the same with every release that they have, but that's generally how things work. You know, a box of Synergy costs a lot of money, but they're all over EPAC, and when they hit Com C, most of the singles are fairly cheap. So, for a $13 a pack product, people are unloading singles for a buck or less sometimes. And, you know, that's how people end up with a lot of that product. I don't buy Synergy in a box, but it's available in a box. I would never buy it because I know it's going to be on there. Something like a Lore, I'll buy. Lore hasn't wasn't on wasn't on EPAC, but I like the product. Stature, I'll buy it. It wasn't on EPAC, but I like the product. You know, other things like Opeachy Platinum. My wife and I both like that product, so we usually will buy it. It's also on EPAC, and those prices come down. And then they make available all sorts of other kinds of achievements and parallels and things that you can't get in the in the actual boxes. 
So there's other incentives to, to go that route too. Anyway, it seems like I'm trying to promote EPAC and like be the spokesperson for them. But what I'm saying is it's another mechanism to obtaining product that we have at our disposal as collectors in the hockey hobby. And you're seeing some of the spillover with the game dated moments because they're getting wiped out pretty quick. Right. We've, yes. we've, we've talked about that, you know, game dated moments came out. They come out every week. They usually put out three to four cards on a weekly basis of events that happen just like the tops now cards do. And they're getting wiped out. And it seems like within 20 to 30 minutes of each drop every week, people are starting to take notice. But whether the prices and everything stand on the back end of it down the road, I, I don't see it. Are we in a bubble? I don't know. Well, everything about sports card collecting is speculative. You have your sure things, but even those can be speculative and you just don't know. Certain tangible items lose their value over time and then they retain their value. Look at like how records records went from being worthless because everybody was buying into CDs and then all of a sudden not only were new records not being made, but old records became relegated to like garage sale bins, right? Because they were just this outdated technology. And then they they had a renaissance where you had like younger people getting into records and record collecting and then just liking that tangibility of it. And I mean, the same with like card collecting. I mean, card collecting took a hit with the Internet because people were able to look up stats and people were able to find pictures. I mean, in the early 90s, it was about me having pictures of my favorite players and learning about them, knowing their stats, knowing what they looked like. And then when you have something like Hockey DB come out, you could see what the player looks like. You could see their stats. You could do a Google image search and get as many Sidney Crosby pictures as you want. So card collecting did lose a lot of its luster because of that. But now it's regaining that luster for different reasons. So, yeah, I mean, it's speculative because it goes up and it goes down and you think it's going to maybe increase in value. And maybe it does, but maybe not for the reasons that you think it will. Yeah. And it goes back to how I started this whole conversation. Everybody's got a story. There's an origin story for everybody on how they got in and how they got out and how they got back in and how they got out. Or maybe they never came back. Or maybe this is when they came back right now. And it's like, you know, where that story is going to end, I don't know. Is it going to end the same way as it did for most of the people in the 90s that sold all their cards for a large pizza? I don't know. But... You know, again, I like pizza. I like pizza too, but it depends on the uh, on the toppings, of course. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up here because this has been a pretty long comeback episode. We had a week off, so this is like a double-sized episode. This is like the super big gulp of hockey card podcasts, right? At two hours long, I think that's a good... I think that's a good size. Well, and it's and we're talking about something that I think everybody everybody has an opinion on right now. Well, of course. And I know I guarantee most of our listeners have an opinion from the ones that are basically priced out of the hobby completely to the ones that are actively jumping in with both feet and both arms and trying to take part in every aspect of it. So, you know, there's so many dimensions of this conversation and I think we touched on a lot of them. 
we could turn this into a 20 hour show probably but well this is going to end up being that five and a half hour hockey game that nobody wants to watch yeah there you go you know if we call every infraction on hockey card collecting yeah then it's going to end up being the never-ending podcast so i think with that we're just going to end it here so thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast as always like and subscribe and tell your friends and until next time collect what you want and don't sleep on patrick stefan for more hockey goodness follow us on twitter at puck junk 